Welcome to the podcast from In Church, Phoenix. This is the Refuge Summer Master's Commission Graduation Sunday. Only the verbal portions of the service are included. August 20th, 2017. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, give me one sec. I'm a little nervous, so. How's everybody doing? How's everybody doing? So, I just want everybody to take a second and just think of a leader. Just in your head, just think of someone that you view as a leader. Everybody got it? Okay. So, For me, I'm Jay, by the way, just in case you didn't know. I'm 15 years old, and I'm a sophomore in high school. So last year, I was a freshman. And that means new school, new people, people I didn't know. So for me, I was very close, and I was very scared. And then basketball season came along. And I tried out for the team. And I made some friends through the team, and I still have those friends that I see every day. And, you know, it's great. But before all of that happened, I needed somebody to, to look up to. I needed somebody to show me what I needed to do. I needed somebody that I viewed as a leader. And as much as my parents would want me to say that I viewed Austin as that leader, that is not the case. <laughs> there was this guy on the basketball team, and his name was Ken. And he was very energetic and hyped up. And he was so excited to be everywhere. You know, you would see him on campus, and he would just be, <laughs> And he was just so energetic, and I loved the energy that he brought. And there was this drill that we did, and it was called the 11-man break. And I didn't know how to run it. So I was just sitting there and I was just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then when I thought it was my turn to go, I just, I went and it wasn't my turn. And then I, got, I had to take a lap. It was bad. And then Kenny comes up to me and goes, hey, come over here. And when I tell you to go, run down the court and look for a pass. I was like, okay. So I went and he comes up and he comes up behind me and he goes, one, two, three, and he pushed me. And I just ran, I just ran down the court. And I was running, and I was running, and I turned, and then the ball, just right here. And I caught it, and I did a little layup, and I made it. But I couldn't have done it without him. So, this past year in sports has been crazy. And it's been super, I don't even know how to describe it, just insane. And before summer started, there was this family. And there was a mom and a dad, and there were three sons, and they all loved basketball. And the oldest son just got drafted into the NBA, and the second oldest is in college, and the third one is still in high school. And their father 
is very confident in his sons. It's very, he always says that his oldest one is going to be the best player ever. And he's just very confident about that. And some would say he's cocky, but he just loves his kids. So it got to the point where he was so open to the media that he would be saying all of these ridiculous things about how he could beat Michael Jordan in one-on-one and how he could do all of these things. But it got to the point where he got so, he got such a big name in social media that reporters would come up to him when he would just be at his son's basketball game. And they would come up to him and they would ask him all these questions. And there was one thing that this reporter asked him, and it was, do you think that you push your kids too far? To which he replied, I don't push my kids at all. If they needed to be pushed, they wouldn't be playing the sport. And it kind of stuck with me, because it was something out of the ordinary that he always says. It was something that you would never hear him say. And you know, I was thinking about it yesterday, and I was thinking, does God push us to be leaders? And there's this movie called Evan Almighty. It's a good movie. And Morgan Freeman portrays God in this movie. And I have it on my phone, because it's a big phone, and I didn't want to write it down. But towards the end of this movie, the wife leaves her husband because she thinks she's crazy. And she takes her kids and they go to this bar and they're sitting down at this restaurant and you know, and they're eating food and he comes up next to her and God sits down and he asks her what's wrong and she tells him and then he replies with this and he says, let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If someone prays for courage, does God give them courage, or does he give him opportunities to be courageous? If someone prays for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings, or does he give them opportunities to love each other? And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, does God make us leaders, or does God give us opportunities to be leaders? And... You know, it just kind of stuck with me. And then I, I came across the question of how do we lead? And the Bible tells us that we have to lead by example. And the Bible says, and, and it goes on, and it says, John 3.13, it says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I give you an example to follow, and as I adore, as I adore to you. So he tells us that, you know, he says that to his disciples. And he tells them that they need to lead by example. Well, how do we lead by example? Well, the Bible says to love our enemies. So we need to love our enemies. And the Bible tells us to not be angry. It tells us to be 
quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So we need to be slow to become angry. And in 1 Timothy 4.12 it says, Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and in your purity. It also says the same thing in Matthew 7.12, and it's actually a law, and it's called the Golden Rule. And it says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So, I'm going to call the ushers forward. And I just want to ask one more time. Does God give us, our, does God make us leaders? Or does he give us opportunities to lead? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning that we're all here together as one big church and one big family, Heavenly Father. And I just want to pray that let us, the Summer Masters group, just let us, let your light shine through us, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, at this time, I'm going to call, while they're passing that around, I'm going to call all of the masters up on stage. Come on up here, guys. And program this summer. Uh, in a couple minutes, Reagan's going to uh, go over the, the curriculum, what they actually did this summer, but I asked them to uh, I asked them to just give us their name and age and their favorite Bible verse, and uh, so I'm going to let them start. Hi, I'm Rebecca. Um, I'm 18, and my favorite Bible verse is, um, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses, Proverbs 10 and 12. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. My name is Elias. I'm 19. My favorite Bible verse is Proverbs 22-1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, rather than uh, silver and gold. Yeah, you got it. 
Maya Martin, I'm 17, and my favorite Bible verse is uh, Psalms 130, verse 5. I will wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and his word I do hope. Hi, I'm Caleb, I'm 17. My favorite Bible verse is probably Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding.
how do I be where God wants me to be, doing what He wants in His timing? Um, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. It says this, but when you go, but but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Um, I believe that all of us kind of have a plug. And what I mean by that is when we're doing a task or asked to do something, our focus is on that. Such as if I'm playing video games, I'm plugged into that. Right? Like my, I'm focused, my, uh, my thoughts and my eyes and like my ears are focusing, right? But the moment I unplug, it just goes by, right? I just forget about it. A deeper level plug would be, say I go hang out with some friends, right? And I, and I plug in and I have a nice night and I leave. But when I leave, I can still have an effect on my thoughts and my heart. But when you plug into the Word, and you plug into Jesus, and you seek Him, and you look, and you tune your ears and your heart towards Him, that's what shapes our core. That's what shapes our, just who we are. And that's how we know where to be when God wants us to be. That's how we know where, what He wants us to do in His timing. I just feel like this summer, God's really been pressing out on my heart. And um, he's been leading me and talking to me and showing me things that I didn't know were real and didn't know existed. It's crazy to think that two and a half months ago, before this program out, I would sit right there in that chair and I would think there's no way I could stand up here and talk about God. And man, I got to stand up here all day and tell you about how great he is. It's amazing. I'm going to share a little bit, a short story, a little testimony that makes me laugh. It's very little, but it was really profound to me. Uh, one of our trips we took to L.A. to help you ministry with the L.A. Dream Center. And pretty much how it works is the first half of the day we'll do ministry work and have about a two-hour break, and the whole rest of the day we'll do ministry. It's probably a third or fourth day in, and uh, it was during one of the breaks. And Dan asked all of us, you know, he was going to get us some drinks from the gas station, like Gatorade or whatever it was, and I was like, heck yeah, I can't wait. So Pharisee, like, this is it. I've been waiting all day for this. So I asked him for a Gatorade, and he goes, he comes back, and I look in the bag, and it's not in there. I'm like, yo, Dave, did you give me a Gatorade? He's like, I think I did. Check in there. I was like, it's not in there. He's like, oh, my bad. I'm like, oh, I just, just forgot. Yeah. And now I look back, I laugh at myself, but I was, like, so upset about it. I was looking, I was, I was looking forward to this Gatorade, and I was like, oh, it's going to taste so good, cold. And it wasn't there, and I was just like, I kind of sat down. Like, Austin, what are you doing? Like, why are you being such a baby about this? Like, what the heck? So I ended up going back to my room and just opening the Word and just praying. In that moment, God, like, God spoke to me very clearly and said, You will come to me with everything if you call yourself my follower. You will come to me with everything. And He just showed me, changed my mind, changed my attitude. And it was just, that little thing showed me that. It's so important to go to Him with everything and spend time with Him. Because how, how can I make Him known if I don't know Him? You know, Mark, Mark 16 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. How can I do that if I don't know Him? If I don't plug in and see who He calls me to be and know who I am in His presence? It's amazing. So thank you to anyone who gave towards this. God multiplied it. And Jesus changed our lives forever.
summer and all the fun stuff I've done, the best moments of the summer, I guess. Um, this is really scary. <laughs> you guys look really scary from up here. Not because you were, like, ugly or anything, just because there's a lot of you. Um, <laughs> I wrote a little Bach. It's an original song, and it's all about my summer and all the fun stuff we did as a group. So... Also, please forgive me for what I'm about to do to your ears. I do not sing at all, so. Uh, here we go. There was 73 days of summer vacation, and school came along just to end it. But I joined Summer Masters and found a real good way to spend it. Like maybe going to camp and worshiping Jesus, boogie boarding on the beach. Watching Elias get knocked out by Gwen, or seeing the Golden Gate Bridge. Watching Dodgers games, buying souvenirs or roller coasters on the pier. Jumping on the blob, riding in the van and driving each other insane. As you can see, there's a whole lot of stuff we did before school came this fall. So stick with us, cause Rapid Summer Masters is gonna show you all. 
Um, so just overall, uh, the summer is really amazing. I just I got to spend the whole summer with the people that I love, all my friends, doing stuff that I love, um, spending time with God, ministering to other people. It's just an overall like choosing one specific moment from the summer was almost impossible. Like sometimes it feels like I have like a lifetime of memories in like one summer, like best summer of my life. And um, I just wanted to say thank you to anybody who contributed and made it possible because it's definitely a life-changing experience. And um, I'm definitely a different person than when I started the summer. Uh, I mean, I'm still the same in like the sense that I'm still in the trade, but I'm different in the sense of like, uh, just the way I feel about stuff. And like, uh, at the beginning of the summer, there was no way in heck I was standing in front of all these people singing a song. Uh, I don't sing. And I don't stand in front of people and talk. So, thank you. And uh, Philip's going to come up and introduce the next skit.
but Satan still likes to tempt us. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about um, no temptation has overtaken you, but God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and he'll always provide a way out. God will make a way when it seems like there's no way. He'll always lead you. He always will guide you. And the struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. It's against light and darkness, good and evil, hate and love. That's the struggle. And there's this other quote by an unknown author says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. When we fall into that temptation and that lie starts like stirring in our mind and we believe that, then we become blind to see what God's trying to do, what he wants to do with us. And we become empty. And there's this big, huge hole in our hearts. But God wants to fill that hole with his love. His love can fill the void. God's fighting for you, not against you. He created you for a time like this. He longs for a personal relationship with you, and he wants to be loved by you. He wants you to find your identity in Christ, in Christ alone. He wants to make you alive, even when you feel dead inside. And God didn't make us like robots. He didn't make us where we have a little password on the outside of our heart, and only God can put, put like, type it in and be like, okay, now you're going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and we're going to schedule this. And No, he made us like puppets. Where we're unique and we're fragile and we get to choose. He loves us so much that we get to choose what we want to do, what we want to say, what we're going to believe, and who we're going to become. But God wants us to give him that control. He longs for us to trust him. We're all like puppets. We're all like puppets. And you get to choose. Are you going to give your control to the enemy or God? The one who takes away and destroys it, or the one who created you and loves you? You're a puppet. You choose who controls your life. You know, in our culture, we, uh, we have an affinity for the demonic. Almost sympathy for the devil, you know? It's almost like we've become too comfortable or movies today that they want us to sympathize with like Hellboy and create this image or this persona that evil isn't really evil or bad isn't they don't really want to be bad. They have to be bad or whatever it happens to be. I think sometimes we shy away from it in the church, but the truth is the Bible quite clearly teaches us that the devil comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. There is no in-between. There, there is no casual relationship that you can have with the enemy of our soul. He has one intention, which is to take from us all that God has given to us. Not just our control, but our sense of purpose, our sense of destiny. God has gifted us and called us to do what God, only God can call us to do. Sometimes we, we think we can have this casual. I hear it all the time. You know, you hear people say, oh, I, I, I don't mind thinking about, I don't mind going to hell because I'll just rule down there. It's one big party or whatever happens. It just try to pervert enough of our image of who the devil is. And every once in a while, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves in the church who the devil is. The devil wants only one thing, to rob us of our life. 
right? And we can hold on to that control. We can think that we can do as much as we possibly can to control our own destiny. But the devil's coming for it. And the only real, true, safe place your life can be is in God's hands. Right? And in God's hands, what I love about that drama, as old as it is, what I love about that drama is at the very end when he gets control and then he still gives life. Right? It's like we're taught at a young age that if you become a Christian, life's going to stink. Oh you, oh, you don't get to have any fun. You don't get, man, you become a Christian. And then I became a Christian and I sold my life. I was like, I'm selling out for Jesus Christ. And my life has never been the same. I mean, I, I absolutely love every aspect of my life. And um, the kids work so hard at showing that to you. And, I, and we just want to encourage you. Like, if you've not given your life to God, Today we're going to give you an opportunity to do so. And the kids are going to come up and give you an opportunity to do so. They were really excited about sharing that message with you guys. It's time for uh, us to do the, the, the big stuff here. But Reagan's going to share a little bit about Masters. Um, I just... specific, unique relationship with Master's Christian, I think. When I was, I mean, if you guys have heard my Indiana story, most of you know we were high school sweethearts. Master's Commission stole him away from me when I was <laughs> in a very crucial time in my life. Well, he moved to Phoenix and we weren't allowed to date anymore, so he left me in Havasu and I didn't, I didn't I didn't like Master's Commission for a big chunk of my life. The first time I saw Puppet Master, I was 19 years old. And I didn't feel like it was that long ago until he just said how old it is. It is, it's really old. Um, and it was in a parking lot in Lake Havasu and he had come, he had come home with his class of Master's Commission uh, to do an outreach in Lake Havasu, and I went, I went down and watched it, and I stood in the parking lot. It was a Mexican restaurant at the time, and I just bawled my eyes out because I was a wreck and I was that puppet. And uh, I, my life, every time I see that, my life is impacted the same way that it was 20 years ago, and. Uh, we were standing backstage, and every time, every time when when he raises that controller and brings her back to life, and he's recreating her from the mess that she made, I gasped. Ethan turned around and looked at me because over here, I've seen it a hundred times. I, you know, it still takes my breath away. And um, master's permission. I never, I never went to Master's Commission, but it has continued to change my life for 20 years. And the, uh, the honor and the privilege that I get to be a part of what we do, um, I love it so much. Um, it's, Master's Commission is derived from the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world, make disciples of all, of all men. And, um, we haven't done our summer master's program in a few years because life gets crazy and it's, it's all consuming. The kids will tell you, if you're a parent, 
you probably don't recognize your kids after this summer. Um, I'm going to go through this really fast because it's really cool and I know that we're running out of time. But um, So these kids committed to three days a week from 8.30 to 1 before school was over. They were still in school. We said, this is what we want to do. This is a general idea of what it's going to look like. Do you guys want to do it? We had a meeting out there one Thursday night. 18 kids showed up out there. And 18 kids are standing on this stage before you today. We, I don't think ever we finished at 1 o'clock. We were supposed to end at 1. We never finished at 1. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, parents. Um, from the orientation on June 7th, the majority of the kids were gone from June 11th to June 26th. I don't have bad vision. My printer printed it in ridiculously small, so sorry. Um, they were they were gone. I, I, you know, if you have kids, you know. Summer was 84 days. Our trips were 32 days. These kids were gone. Out of 84 days of their summer, they were gone. Um, the other 52 days in between, they ran our Wednesday night middle school service, which is Origins, which is awesome if you have middle schoolers. They had classes Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They served in all capacities in our Thursday night rec life service and our Sunday morning church, this one. They have swept, mopped, cleaned the toilets. They have stocked the bathroom supplies. They have lead worship. They have ran sound. They have ran lights. And they have ran lyrics. And if they didn't know how to do it before this summer, they learned how to do it. At one point or another, most of them, if not all of them, have napped in this building. <laughs> they have cried. They have laughed. They have puked. They have bled. It gets serious sometimes. <laughs> they've argued with each other. They've argued with us. They've made up with each other. They've been corrected. They've been encouraged. We've had some really hard conversations. And we have stories for days and days that would make you pee your pants. You laugh so hard. <laughs> And as I'm reading this, I'm exhausted. Like, it's exhausting going over what we've done in the last 90 days. And that's not even the piece of paper that they signed. And I was going to read what they signed, but we don't have time. But it looks like this, so I'm going to put it in the back, and you guys can read it. Because it's intense, and it's important, and we prayed about it. We took them to the prayer garden, and they spent time praying and decided... They had three options of different levels of commitment that they all chose to do, and not one of the options was easy. And if you think that you're a good Christian, I will hang this in the back, and I will challenge you to pick one of these and see if you can fulfill it in 84 days while you're on the road for a third of those days. And... I love you guys, and I'm not going to cry, so you can come up here. I love you so much. You're my favorite people in the whole world. Okay. Um, 
you know, this is their graduation, and, and uh, I wanted to make sure that I emphasize this. Everybody on this stage is graduating. Um, now, not everybody on the stage is going to be given a certificate of completion because they weren't all able to complete uh, and pass their curriculum, but that, which is, they're, I'm proud of them for what they've done. And they know this. We've talked multiple times over the course of the past couple of weeks about how unbelievable their d discipline and their att attention to detail and their devotion to pursuing discipleship really is. And so I'm going to have, uh, Jessica's going to pass out. They first, they all completed in church uh, startup class, which you guys are welcome to take. It's on Sunday mornings. Vern and Carolyn teach that. And uh, so they, they've got their certificate of taking that class. It is a 12-week class, 12-week class that they completed in six. So they did a great job. Um, and then uh, Reagan's going to pass out their certificate of uh, completion to those uh, that are getting their certificate of completion from all that they did. Everybody on this stage um, deserves not just an incredible uh, accolades and applause for what they did, but everybody, and I think Emily talked about it, I think, uh, uh, who else? Uh, Emily Savannah talked about it. Uh, and every one of them at some point this summer stood before something that terrified them, whether it's public speaking or being in a drama or going to Mexico, uh, a lot of them were terrified uh, about this missions trip. They didn't know what to anticipate. A lot of parents were terrified about this missions trip. And they went door to door. We went out and they did everything. I can't think of one single time when I looked at a student and said, I need you to do something in which they looked at me and said, no. Every time they said, okay. And then afterwards they would tell me, I'm, I was so scared. I mean, really, you didn't seem scared. I was terrified. But learning to trust God, learning to step out in faith and to do those those things. Every one of them did it. And, and really, as a church, as a pastor, I'm so proud of them. And uh, they did such a good job. Would you guys give them a round of applause? Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Well, no, no, they got to go down and set up. Okay, you guys can... Uh, uh, step off the stage and, and set up for this last drama. I, we're, we're so late on time, but we they have one more drama, and really, um, if you would bear with us, it's a short one. It's not 13 minutes like the last one. Um, it's just a song, but um, it's, this is all the way up until this point has been their opportunity to, to show you and, and, and graduate and talk about the things that God did through them this summer. This part of the service was the chance they wanted to minister to you an opportunity to, to minister to you and they want to come down at the very end and even offer an opportunity to pray with you. Um, these kids are absolutely incredible. And um, in, I'll, I'll do it right now, actually, as they're setting up since we have a couple of minutes. Um, we're going to take an offering for Master's Commission for the Refuge uh, Discipleship Program. And the reason being is this, we, it takes money to, to do the things that we did with these kids. And we talked about this. For these kids, this summer, there was one common word over and over and over again. Develop, develop, develop. In the Bible, we call it discipleship. But with the kids, we, I consistently said develop, develop. And, and we would tell them, what are you doing now? Take some personal development time. Develop, develop. Because the truth is, is discipleship is development, but it's development in the cause of Christ. And the best way that I can describe it is simply this way. To teach kids consistently over and over again how to develop patience is awesome. But to believe that you are teaching kids 
how to develop patience according to the Word of God, how to develop faithfulness according to the Word of God, how to develop a hard work ethic according to the Word of God, how to develop your approach. Yesterday they had to finish their sermons, and Lizzie preached on anger. It was one of the most incredible sermons. She got up and she preached, and she talked about anger and, and how we're to submit to God in the cause of that, and how she rooted in the Word, how she found strength to overcome her anger through the Word of God. Now, I say that because there's a lot of great programs out there. There's a lot of things, and I don't mean Christian programs, just out there, just ways for kids to develop. But there's not enough of us churches out there giving kids the opportunity to develop in the Word, to develop, to root their, their belief about hard work, their belief about forgiveness, their belief about persistence, their belief about consistency, faithfulness, in the Word of God. Imagine a group of kids growing up and learning how to love their spouse based on what the Word of God teaches them rather than what Hollywood teaches them. Imagine a group of kids growing up and learning how to deal with co-workers based on a standard put forth by the Word of God rather than a standard put out there through secular education or anything else. Imagine a group of kids growing up and developing a sense of work ethic and responsibility social responsibility, civic responsibility, the fact that we have not just a moral obligation, but a spiritual obligation according to the Word of God. Jesus himself said, anytime someone was hungry, you fed them. Anytime they were naked, you gave them clothing. When they were in prison, you visited them. Anytime you did one of those things, you did it to the least of me. It's Jesus that teaches us to turn the other cheek when we're slacked to give not just a cloak, but our jacket. When someone asks, you give it to me. It's Jesus that teaches us, I would say, all the foundational things you need for a civil society. Right? Jesus says these are the things that not expected, commanded. Right? People don't talk about that. That's what Jesus, it's commanded of us. Right? Well, how does that work in us? Because I wasn't, I'm not that, in my own natural sense, I'm not kind. I don't like letting people merge in front of me. Right? That doesn't come naturally to me. It's not like, oh yeah, go right ahead. Right? I, I don't. Every once in a while, I pull up at a stoplight and I look over and there's somebody 25 years old and my first inclination is to be, why doesn't he have a job? Rather than, hey, I've got a couple of dollars. Right? There's something alive in me that has to grab my flesh by the throat and say, don't you dare do what you think you should do right now. How do you develop that? Persistent, consistent follow through when it comes to developing, or like we call it in the church, discipleship. That's what Master's Commission is. It was a consistent journey and adventure at times through developing in us the qualities that God calls us to forge in our own lives. And this morning, as we finish up with this final drama, we're going to take an offering and give you guys the opportunity. And we have it back there. If you don't have and you want to, they got a, a iPad back there, you can do it. There's t-shirts. If you're like, well, I don't have money to get to you can go buy t-shirts. There's ref t-shirts back there. You can't buy one of these. These are earned through sweat and blood. But you can buy a refuge t-shirt back there. Um, there's some other stuff. There's all sorts of stuff back that you can get. Everything's going to go towards discipleship, to developing the future generation and the things that God's word inspires and commands in each and every one of us. If I can have the guys come forward uh, to take the offering, I want to pray and then they're going to come and set up um, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, God, that uh, 
that we have a chance, Lord Jesus, that you call us. What a privilege. You call us to be disciples, and then you send us out. Go and make disciples of all nations. God, what an honor and a privilege it actually is to do those things. I know that from a distance it looks like such a burden. But when you come and you pick up that burden of discipleship, you discover it is not only light, it is liberating. Father, we thank you for it, Lord Jesus. And I pray, God, that whatever is given in this, let it be sown with purpose, with the intention of development. I pray, God, that anybody who decides to put into this offering, they would do so with the faith to believe that it is going to develop in a future generation the qualities that you call us to. That we would learn to override our sinful nature with your divine nature by persistent discipleship. And I thank you for it. I pray you favor and bless all that give in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Elias, are you ready? I hope you understand what I, Elias is going to share. Uh, come on up here, Elias. And, uh, and these guys, you guys can come set up while I share. How's it going? All right, I got to make this quick because we're running out of time, but... So I just want to say, like, we live in a sinful world. Like, I see it, but I'm growing up in it. Like, I'm sure all you adults, if you heard music and everything, you could tell. But I want to start off in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're born into it. We've all sinned. I feel like some of us, we could think, like, my sin isn't as bad as their sin, so I'm okay. Or even my sin's worse than their sin's. I'm not okay. And we live our life, and sometimes we're too scared to come to church and confess them. But, but when we are ready, we all know that God's hands extended out for us, ready for us to grab it. His grace is there, and it's always there for us waiting. We just have to ask for it, and He's there. So here's the skit that we'll show you better than I said. Um, you have no idea what a big deal that is. <laughs> um, there's a powerful story in the Bible in which a woman caught in adultery was dragged before Jesus and cast down before him. And they shout and scream and yell at him because they know the law says that that woman should be stoned to death. Right? Now that seems so foreign to us. It's bizarre, the concept of stoning somebody in the middle of the street for a sin, right? for, for the mistake that that, that woman made. But the reality is, is that was commonplace for them. That was, if you did this, this is what the law said. Let's execute that. Jesus was there standing, right? This is the fork in the road. This is the apex of the difference between religion and relationship. Up until that moment, religion stoned adulterers. Cast in front of Jesus, he was questioned. She was caught in adultery. The law says we should stone her. What say you? And what does Jesus say? He looks around and he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Right? And then the Bible teaches us he wrote something in the sand. And nobody knows what he wrote in the sand, but he wrote something in the sand. And it caused all of the accusers to flee. Now something I know about the power of sin that separates us. The shame that comes with sin. There's nothing more conflicted in a heart than when you're both the victim and the perpetrator. When you are your own enemy, when you are your own villain, and you find yourself in a situation where you're constantly bound to be what you feel like you have always been, but yet you know 
there's something calling you away from it. You know it. And you're trying and you're hoping and you're believing that something can shift, something can change. And yet that sinful nature calls you right back into it. There is no science, there's no 12-step program. There's nothing you can do that can supplement or replace the power of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can ever. Jesus spoke to the stormy seas, and the wind and the waves obeyed. Jesus can touch our hearts in such a way that instantaneously all of our accusers, all of our enemies, the word says that a thousand will fall and ten thousands, but none of them will touch us. Grace is the most powerful thing. Grace is the most powerful thing. This is that story.
you for listening to the podcast. We hope it blessed and encouraged you. Join us live on Sunday or at our midweek Connect Small Group meetings in North Phoenix, Arizona.